Our scripture reading from today is John 16, 12 to 15. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 902. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Today we have um, Dave Shields, an uh, old friend of Regen, coming to teach with us. So please give him a w- warm welcome. How are you? Everybody good? It's great to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I hope you are excited as I am. You, you have no idea that there has never been a day like today in the history of humankind that this group of people would gather at this place at this time. And so if you've come here out of habit or out of routine or out of ritual, buckle up because something new can happen for us today. Every time we gather, Jesus says, when you are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of you. So Jesus isn't far off from us, but he's actually right here with us as we shake hands and greet one another and as we worship together and study together. There was no place I'd rather be than right here with you this morning. So let's give thanks. Father, thank you so much that you gave us this day. What a gift. What a joy. What a pleasure it is to be gathered in your house as a family, as friends, as brothers and sisters bought by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. And as we open your word, let your word open us. Help us to understand words like courage and joy and peace and how to live this life that you've called us to live in victory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Hey, I didn't mean to start that way, but I just got so excited when I got up here. As um, was shared here, I have actually a long history. You're looking at me like, who is this guy, this goofy, big-eared guy? Uh, I have a long history with regeneration. Uh, Back, way back when regeneration was just this idea or this germ of an idea, it actually started as a small group gathering in my parents' house. Uh, before it moved to Mocha Lisa, and then when it moved to iMusicCast, my wife Kimberly and I would go to church somewhere in Livermore in the morning and then drive out to Berkeley at night, and we would serve and try to help and be a part of the core team to launch this idea in Berkeley. And we would do things like sweep the parking lot and be on parking lot duty, and I was with my buddy over there, and we'd wave people in and point them out, and then we'd keep watch over the cars at night <laughs> because things can happen at night sometimes, as you guys know. And And we would clean the restrooms and we would serve in the kids' ministry and we would just pour ourselves into this church. And I'm so excited that many years later, this church is still going. Praise God for that. We were serving in Regen up until 2002 when God called us to move overseas to Kenya to start a children's organization, which is now known as Nukuru Children's Trust. Um, where we worked to provide education and eternal hope for kids that were left out on the streets uh, or true orphans. Um, I'm pleased to tell you that next year we will be actually closing that 
uh, mission down after graduating about 450 kids through college. So these kids that were left in the dustbins and in the, just in the highways and byways of life, God partnered with them and they worked their way through. And so now we have the leaders of Kenya that have uh, been rescued and been uh, established. So you guys were a part of that. Uh, so praise God. Let's give God a hand clap for that. Are you awake? We came back in 2008, shortly after the tribal clashes in Kenya, uh, where I pastored a local church for a couple of years, and then the Lord called us again overseas to the Philippines, where we fought against human trafficking, and where my wife is still today, working as a director of the organization we helped to launch there called Solid Ground International, and you continue to partner with us in that fight, where we offer uh, safe transitional homes to women that have been rescued from trafficking or domestic violence situations. And so my wife would want to make sure that she tells you that she's thankful for your continued support and that things are going really well as they launch to get re-registered. That's why she's over there right now to kind of follow cross all the T's and dot all the I's that the government tells you to do that you need to do. So um, she greets you. We have two boys. Joshua and Damascus, which we didn't have when we were serving here, but when we were in Kenya, they were both born in Kenya, and they are both out uh, participating in different sports this morning, uh, doing great, so I am thankful that I am here. I wish my family was here. I wish I was better at technology. I'd put a picture on the screen so you, you could tell that I was telling the truth, but unfortunately, I'm old school. I'm just the Bible and a mouth. That's all I am. So... That long introduction, even though you didn't really come to hear about me, you came to hear from the word of the Lord. I'll tell you one more little fact. When we moved back here in 2016, I returned to a local church ministry and eventually became a mission director for another church. And in 2020, I felt the Lord leading me to step away from paid ministry and have a season where he would rebuild me and learn what it means to just be loved by God outside of paid ministry. And so I pastor a small business right now, and I've launched a company called Shielded Mental Performance, where I work with athletes and coaches and teams on mental health and mental strength training in between their seasons. So that's a little bit about me. And speaking of coaches, Jesus is our ultimate coach. Amen? Anybody ever been coached by Jesus? You've been facing a tough season in your life, and then Jesus comes inside and kind of gives you that, that halftime speech. Well, that's where we are in the Gospel of John. Albert said that I get all of chapter 16. I know we just read a few verses. I'm going to kind of go through the entire chapter, but I do know that we have a time limit, so you have to listen very quickly as we go through this. I'm a coach. I coach high school football. I've coached college football. I've coached international sports. I work with athletes a lot. But even if you're not an athlete, you kind of know, you get the feeling of what a halftime speech is, right? Where you've battled half the way through the event, and then you get into the halftime, and the coach gathers the team and says, look, here's what went right. we got to keep doing what's right. Here's what went wrong. we got to correct that. And now I've got to fire you up for the second half because all we have left is the second half. That is where we find ourselves with Jesus and the disciples in what's called the upper room discourse. John 14 through 17, this is the longest continued speech of Jesus in the Gospels that we have recorded, where Jesus is getting ready to go into the final week of his earthly life, and he gathers the disciples and he says, these are my kind of final words before some other things are going to happen. And as we look towards Easter, we look towards the celebration of Easter right before the celebration comes the, 
the hard part, the betrayal, the arrest, the mockery, the beatings, crucifixion, the unjust trial of our Lord and Savior. It's pretty hard before it gets good. Well, this is where we find ourselves, and I'll actually back up a little bit. I'm going to start off in chapter 15, the last verse in chapter 15, verse 26. Let me read these first four verses to you. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus starts to speak in chapter 15 about the dark side of discipleship. How many of you know it's not easy to follow him? There's a consequence to follow Christ. But sometimes we come to Christ out of desperation. And if you remember back when you first raised your hand or you first nodded your head or bowed your head or put your hands together and said, I want more of Christ, it's because you faced a trial in your life that was so hard. You needed something or someone outside of yourself. You found that your own sin, your own trial, your own trouble was greater than your strength. So you reached out and called out to God and said, save me. From that time, we thought Things are going to get better, and that is true. Things get better, but you know what? Some things get harder. The more light I shine as a Christian, the more attention I draw, not only from allies, but also from people that are against the light. You ever walk into a dark room and your eyes get adjusted to the dark, and then someone turns on the light? What do we do? We throw something at them. Turn that light off. It hurts my eyes. And so the very thing that would help others by shining my light is what draws curses and what draws negative attention. And Jesus begins to tell the disciples, guess what? Not everybody's going to like you. Well, these disciples already knew that. They've been traveling with Christ for a little while now. They've seen his own family kind of come against him. What are you doing out here, Christ? You should just, you know, come home and live a good life. Be humble, right? He's seen, they've interacted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law and how they would try to come against him and trick him with different questions. They've seen him, but they've also seen him heal. They've also seen him restore. They've also seen him provide. They've also seen him mend what was broken, raise up what was dead. He knows they are already troubled, which is why way back in chapter 14, he starts this discourse by saying, let not your heart be troubled. I love that phrase, let not your heart be troubled. You know, it's easy for our hearts as modern day believers to get troubled when we turn on the news. Or in spite of news, maybe you're on Instagram or maybe you're on Facebook or you're on any of these other social media threads where we get the headlines of the day and then our hearts sink as believers when we realize there's tension, there's despair, there's 
trials, there's wars and rumors of wars, and Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Why is this text included? Why is John 16 a part of the story? What would happen to your and my faith if we didn't read what Jesus writes here, what Jesus gives us here? Well, as biblical students, we should always ask ourselves, what would we miss? And as I read through this this week and I prayed through this, I think that Jesus wants to impart to his disciples and to you and I three words. So if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember these three words, okay? Are you ready? Courage, joy, and peace. What wonderful character traits for the modern-day Christian. I wonder what three words is out there in the world about his church right now or his followers or myself. Like what three words would people who just meet me on the street, would they say that I'm a man of courage? Would they say that I'm a joyful man? Would they say I'm a man of peace? Or would they say I'm judgmental or fearful or angry or anxious, argumentative? Maybe some people on social media would classify the modern day church as some of those words instead. Lord, help us to learn from you about instilling these three words into our character. I'm going to go through each of these words as it's displayed in chapter 16. I'm going to share with you why Jesus would say that, and then I'm going to give you some hints on how to put these words into your weekly rhythm. Are you ready? Are you awake? Are you still with me? All right, good. I'm used to a little bit more noise, you know. Forgive me, I'm a coach. I'm excited. I'm ready for the game time here. Well, Jesus first speaks about courage, like I just read to you in the first few verses in chapter 16, there's a need for courage. The world doesn't like us and will actively do things against us because of that. The darkness does not like the light. Now, when I say the darkness, I'm not saying that there are enemies in the traditional sense. There's not an us and them. Paul would write later on, he says, we don't fight in flesh and blood. We fight a spiritual battle. And there is a dark spirit in the world that does not like the light spirit within us. Because the darkness, in the darkness, things can happen in the dark that they don't like being brought to light. Now, I have served in some dark places in the world. I have lived through a tribal war where I have seen people being burned alive simply because they come from a different hometown than the person doing the attacking. Those are images I can't get rid of simply by closing my eyes. I have seen women and children locked in a cage being sold for the sake of whatever they could provide for the person doing the selling. There's evil in this world. There is a dark spirit in this world, but take hope, take joy, take courage, because the God that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The darkness cannot overcome the light that is within you. And here is the reason you can have courage. Number one, we can have courage because of our shared history with Christ. Verse one, these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that you should not be made to stumble. Jesus will, and I don't have time to get into it, but throughout this chapter, Jesus will refer to the things that he has said in the past to prepare them for something happening in the future. 
Jesus says something in the past to prepare them for something in the future. Jesus has spoken to you in your past to prepare you for something that you are going to encounter in your future. And if you are encountering something today, think back to what he has shared with you in the past. What was the last thing you heard Christ say to you? Because it was equipping you that you should not stumble. Now, the word stumble in English is kind of a funny word. It's like me stumbling to come up on stage, but it's really more like a trap door. That's the original language. A surprise, sudden drop. Have you ever run into that where things are going well and all of a sudden a family member gets sick? Things are going well, all of a sudden, job loss. Things are going well, all of a sudden, betrayal by a friend. And there's this sudden drop to our faith, and all of a sudden, all of the worship songs escape our memory. All of the scripture reading is like, I can't access anything, and I'm crying out to my friends, will you pray for me? I don't know what just hit me. Jesus has spoken to us in the past so that we can be prepared in the future. There is a shared history. I want you to think back now. Go back in your memory. What was the first time that you said yes to Christ and how you felt and how zealous you were for the gospel and how excited you were? John would write later on in the book of Revelation, he says, remember your first love. And it's never too many times that we can do that where we remember where it was. Now, I've been walking with Christ since I was 15 years old. Not always consistent, backslidden, making mistakes. Absolutely, I'm a fallible man. But... I remember that day when I said yes to Christ. And when I go through a tough time, I go back and I think about that and I go, why would I say yes and then say no now? Jesus says in verse 4, I've told you about these things. Remember, this is a conversation to his closest followers. Your own story should give you courage for your current situation. Think back to David in the Psalms. There's a common pattern in the Psalms. David in a lot of Psalms would write out and say, God, where are you? You are absent. And then he would go back and go, I remember there was a time when you weren't absent. And then he goes, I guess you're not going to be absent now. And you can follow that pattern in a lot of the Psalms. And that's a pattern in my prayer too. God, where are you? Where are you? And then I go, okay, the discipline is remembering the last time I felt God present. The last time I felt the nearness of God. And it gives me hope that he is not far from me now, even though I'm going through a distant feel. Does that make sense? Remember the words and the story and the shared history that we have with Christ. The second reason that we can have courage is because you are planted in a community. Look to your right and to your left. A few of you, all right? Come on, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you may be familiar. You are planted in this community. We are stronger together. We are more courageous together. This is why it's written, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of of doing, but even more so as you see that day approaching, that day is a phrase Jesus will say many times in this chapter, as you look ahead, keep meeting together. What is the difference between Peter denying Christ and Peter standing up and having 5,000 people hear the gospel? He says he stood up with the 11. That was the difference. Yeah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. But the reality is, even if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are alone, you can be fearful. When you are with brothers and sisters, you can stand together. And when I feel weak, I hold on to my brothers and sisters in faith, and they lift me up. They hold me up. So you have the word of Christ available to you. You have the people of God around you. And lastly, the reason of courage, you have the Holy Spirit within you. The coming of the encourager. 
We read a little bit, but I'm going to read from verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, you sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And it goes in there. There's lots of names. He gives the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, your advantage, the convictor, the guide, the communicator, the foreteller, worship leader, the amplifier of Christ. There are many more names Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit. And if I had all the time in the world, which I don't, I would go into the personality and the province and the job description of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit can't be accessed to you unless I go away. And because he went away from the disciples and because he's not here presently with us, he marks us with the seal. He gives us this gift, the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us and lives and breathes inside of us. That is a great encouragement to me and a great gift of courage in these fearful times. We talk about things like uncertainty in the economy, uncertainty about the election coming up, uncertainty about different tensions that we have at the family level, at the job level, at the neighborhood level, at the national level, at the international level. There are many reasons to be afraid, but there is a great reason to show courage that you have the Holy Spirit as a believer. Now, if you are sitting here and you have not yet said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is kind of this foreign concept. He's outside of you. I want to zoom in on when he talks about conviction because we misread this a little bit. Let's see. I've got all this stuff underlined. I lose my place. <laughs> he says in verse 8, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He convicts the world of sin, but not of the sin that you and I think about. The Holy Spirit isn't going around pointing the finger, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what the Holy Spirit's job is in the world. The Holy Spirit's job in the world is to convict them of unbelief. He is out there proclaiming Christ in creation, proclaiming Christ in coincidence and circumstance and miraculous provision and interaction with believers. You are the evidence of the Holy Spirit to an unbelieving world. When you go into your office, or you go into your workplace, you are bringing the Holy Spirit with you, and your presence proclaims Christ to an unbelieving coworker. And so you may think, well, that unbelieving coworker is somehow affecting my faith, but you are somehow affecting their ability to believe. You may have had enough faith to where you say, yeah, I have a Bible on my desk, or I, yeah, I talk about going to church on Sunday, and then you become really snippy at work. Ooh, I don't know. I'm convicted of that. I got to take a deep breath and I got to know that the Holy Spirit is in me and I am trying to bring people out of unbelief into belief. Now he is also a convictor to us who believe of my own behavior. The Spirit will guide me into all truth. Is this right or is this not right? Is this good to do or not good to do? The Holy Spirit guides me on my way to perfecting me. And so the Holy Spirit will never judge the world 
based on a believer's standard of living because they are not yet believers. So why do we try to do that as a church? Why do we do that? Why do we hold an unbeliever to an unrealistic standard when they have not signed up for that yet? We have to first bring them to faith and then let the Holy Spirit perfect them over time just like you and I get perfected over time. How many of you are perfect? Good, no hands went up. You passed that test. Good job. But the Holy Spirit is a great reason to show courage. I got to hurry up now. I haven't even gotten to joy yet. So let's move on to joy, verses 16 through 24. Uh, I won't read through this. You can read through it on your own. But Jesus tells them he is going away for a little while. And the disciples say, well, what do you mean by a little while? Right? The reality in verse 20, I'm going to read this. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Notice that the joy that comes from God isn't something new that's in the place of loss, but rather redeeming the value of that loss into something beautiful. He gives the example of a woman in, in labor. Now, I have not given labor, surprising, but I have been in the room where that happens, and it is, from all accounts, a very painful experience. But once the baby is born, that painful experience becomes a joyful one. It doesn't eliminate the pain that has gone through, but it adds to that pain an insurmountable joy, right? And so if you have suffered loss, this is not to shortcut loss. This is not to give a Hallmark card answer to why we go through grief or why we go through sadness or why we go through A, B, C, or D. But the reality is our sorrow can be turned to joy when we allow God to enter into that sorrow and come into that grief. For them, the absence of Jesus will actually cause eternal joy as he has to go away through his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension for salvation to be possible. The very thing of missing Christ for these men and the women that followed Jesus and they would weep and lament and mourn Jesus being arrested and beaten and crucified will be the very reason that you and I sing worship songs today. That we can have a smile as we think about Easter and we go, yes, what was meant to be sorrowful got turned into joy. Now, here's the key to a joyful life. Eternal perspective. Verse 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Look, grief is hard. It's a debt that has to be paid. But for us as believers... We have access to this eternal perspective. We know it's not the end of the story. As a mental strength coach, I use this phrase a lot, that the end of the road is actually a bend to the road, right? That when we come into a hardship, we just need to turn right and keep going. We need to turn left and keep going. And if you're going through a hard time today, I comfort you and I stand with you and I lift you up, but I want to let you know that this is just a blip in the eternal radar that we can get through this, and we have this hope of heaven. Amen? I mean, come on now. It is halftime. We are getting ready to the second half, and when we leave this building, we are going to face an incredible world that doesn't like the light that's inside of us, but we can't shrink back. We can't wrap ourselves in a cocoon and hide away and just hold our breath until heaven. We've got to go out and love this world. 
God can be found in the midst of grief. And I am a living testimony to you. I want to share something with you. That I mentioned to you that I stepped down from paid ministry in 2020. And the reason why I did that was because I found myself in a depressed state. I wasn't eating or sleeping. I wasn't connecting with other people, but I was working. I was ministering. I was pouring myself out. There was this suffocating heaviness upon me as a minister of the gospel, and I felt the absence of the Lord. The more I talked about him, the farther away I felt from him, even though I had faith. But I want to tell you, as a survivor of that season, that in the dark place where I couldn't see God, I began to grope for him in the dark. And he was faithful to his promise that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. That if I can't see him, I can reach for him, and he is to be found. If you're going through a dark time in your life for unknown reasons or known reasons, whether you self-sabotage or someone has betrayed you, whether or not you have found yourself in a sudden stumble, a sudden grief, a sudden loss, grope for God. And in that groping, there's joy to be found when there's connection made. He is groping for us. And he reached down and he says, look, Dave, you are more loved than the title of pastor. You are more loved than the title of missionary. You are more loved than the title of mission director. You are my son. Let me rebuild you. And I'm letting you know that I found joy in being rebuilt. So courage because of God's past interaction with me. Joy because of the future hope we have in him. And lastly, Let's talk about peace. I'm going to read the end of the chapter to you. Jesus interacts with them and he says, look, hey, I'm going to go away and I'm going to go to the father. And, and he's like, I'm going to tell you plainly. And then the disciple said to him, verse 29, see, now you are speaking plainly using no figure of speech. We are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe you come forth from God. The disciples are like, yeah, let's go get them. Half time's over. Let's go. We believe that you are who you say you are. And Jesus answered them and said, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come when you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Peace is the most precious commodity in this turbulent world. Jesus says, look, you're going to be scattered. The disciples were raring to go, and then he calms them down, and he goes, guess what? Let's base this in reality here. I know you believe, but you guys are actually going to scatter and ditch me. But guess what? That's not the end of the story. Verse 33, if you want to underline one verse in this chapter, this is the key verse in this entire chapter. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Peace is found. Where is it found? It's found in him. Peace is offered. Tribulation is prescribed. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but you may have peace. Peace is available to you. Tribulation is guaranteed. Peace is optional for the believer. But you got to find it in him. Let me ask you, if you are lacking peace, where is your identity right now? Is your identity in things circumstantially being peaceful? You will never find peace that way. Because there's always something in the world, you'll have tribulation. 
But in him, if I wrap my identity in who he is and I clothe myself in his nature and in his words and in his promises, there's peace to be found there. Tribulation is promised, but victory is almost also promised. He says, I have overcome the world. And he says this before the events of the arrest coming up shortly. He has already overcome. I have overcome the world. How has he already done that when he hasn't yet done it? How has he already overcome when he has not yet been crucified and resurrected and ascended? He's already overcome because there was an act of surrender back in the garden where he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Peace is available when we identify ourselves with Christ and we surrender our spirit to the Father. Are you surrendered this week? Have you wrapped yourself in his identity and then said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. If I need to pick something up, a responsibility that I had been ignoring, do I need to lay something down, something that's causing me to stumble? Do I need to push away from a relationship that's been unhealthy? Or do I need to embrace a relationship that's been broken? Do I need to be more generous with ever-dwindling resources in the state of inflation we find ourselves in? Or do I need to be a better steward of what you've given me? How am I surrendering? Key to peace for me. Wrap myself in the love and the identity of Christ and surrender to the greater will of the Father, not my will, but your will. Three words I leave with you today. Courage, joy, and peace. I want that to be a description that others would say of me and others would say of our church. How about you? Is that something you hope for? Well, as we wrap up our time together, we're going to go into a time of communion. And I think you had some that was offered to you. If you need one of these neat little packages here, just go ahead and raise your hand and someone will bring it to you. I'll invite the worship team to come up to the front and we'll close our time. Communion is one of the two practices that we are left with. One is baptism and the other is communion. Both are identity practices. Baptism, I identify with Christ's death and resurrection, and it's a picture of something that's taken place in my heart. And communion is a picture of the Last Supper where Jesus says, hey, this is my body, this is my blood, take and let me be a part of your life. See, baptism represents me being a part of Christ's actions and identifying with his death and resurrection. But when I take communion, Jesus is like becoming a part of me now. He's coming inside of me. And we do it together. It's the same word, communion and community. We do this together as a body of Christ. And it's a phenomenal activity that can somehow lose the depth of meaning and the implication. There's nothing special about the cracker or the juice here. What's special is the conversation that takes place in my heart. And he says, hey, let's reflect for a minute. Am I lacking courage? Am I joyless in my experience? Am I lacking peace in my life? If so, I think as we take the bread and the cup together, I was warned that this is tricky to open, so I'm trying to all right, we'll get it. As we do this together, 
It's a renewed commitment on my part to allow Christ to be a part of my everyday experience, not just Sundays. So Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, and this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ together. Likewise, in the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood that was shed for you. Take drink in remembrance of me. And as we take the cup together, let's remember the eternal perspective that the crucifixion gives us. Let's commune together. Father in heaven, we surrender now to your will. I pray for this dearly loved group of people that we would have more courage, we would have more joy, and we have more peace. As we worship together, be glorified in our hearts. Amen.